everybody, this is Townsend. Thank you so much for tuning in. The goal of this podcast is to cover a vast variety of topics regarding mental health, struggles, share people's stories, and hopefully remind you that you're not alone. I hope you enjoy. All right, so first off, <laughs> I'm proud of being American. <laughs> I had to bust it out. Listen, I had to go all out. <laughs> All jokes aside, uh, there's several people on here that have served our country, and thank you so much to each and every one of you guys. I've gotten to know several of you through my You're Not Alone project, and I know we'll probably kid a lot tonight, but I cannot thank you enough for everything that you guys do. All right, let's hop in. So we're going to be chit-chatting about mental health in the military. I've done a lot of researching uh, before we hopped on this, because obviously I'm not in the military. I'm a slacker, and um, it <laughs> terrifies me to hear the stories that you guys go through. But let's introduce you. So who is Lance? What is your rank, your title, for those that don't know? Well, my title is Lance. Um, <laughs> my my rank was, uh, I was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army. Um, I was both enlisted and an officer. I served for just a little under 25 years, over 24 years. Um, And uh, I'm now back home in Arkansas where I'm from, Benton. Um, Myself and my wife both are from Benton and uh, now our two kids get to grow up here. So it's uh, great to be here and it's great to be able to talk to you tonight about a very important subject, not only to me, but you know, to a lot of folks, both in the service, outside the service, uh, it's just a very important topic and one that I think it's worth taking a look at for those that might not know all the resources that are out there. Absolutely. I'm super honored <clears throat> that you hopped on here with me tonight. Um, honestly, when I was reading through everything, it talked about, I don't want to use that exact word, but the, for lack of better terms, how danger that it, dangerous it is to talk about your mental health in the service and just how looked down upon it is and it's basically don't ask don't tell and so they're trying to change that with new times and new generations coming in the services i'm all about changing that and just bringing awareness so it's so cool that you hopped on here just to kind of bring awareness to it because like i said i'm not listed um i haven't served and so even just hearing like i said i know several of y'all hearing your stories, I think, how could you not just automatically be expected to go into therapy or automatically be expected to do all these things? And the reality is it's just kind of looked over. It's pretty sad. Well, you know, and, and first of all, I guess I should mention this. Anything I'm going to say on this live live stream is, uh, is my own opinion and is not the official position of the United States government in any way. It may match the government position, but if it does, it's by coincidence. Um, I think that we're doing a lot better, a lot better than where we started, at least from in my career. Um, I think what you were describing was definitely a problem. Uh, You know, a few years ago, definitely 10 years ago, absolutely 20 years ago, was a major problem. Uh, in fact, up until probably, I'd say before 2010, if you had a mental health problem, it was very, in my opinion, it was very likely to destroy your career. Yeah. But now, 
And I think what it took is a lot of senior leaders started to step out and say, hey, look, I've got this problem. Uh, we had general officers, you know, talking about uh, having PTSD. We had general officers retiring and then writing an article for the New York Times or Washington Post or something about having bipolar disorder. Um, and I think that's what it took. Um, the more and more senior leaders started normalizing seeking help for problems, the more soldiers started to seek help. But then also some of the mid-level leaders stopped using it as like a criteria for for evaluating someone's performance, if you will, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, so where all where all have you served and what's the longest time you've been deployed? Because not only, you know, yeah. chit chat with you personally, I realized you guys move all the time. And it's just kind of whenever they say to go, you pack up all of your things, your entire family, and you could be, be moved across the country tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You could be moved um, uh, literally across overseas tomorrow. You just never know really what's coming. So how long, like I said, the longest you were deployed in a different country, mm -hmm. let's go there. And then how many times did you move? Um, well, so... I was deployed three different times, all three times to the Middle East, twice to Iraq, once to Kuwait. I spent two and a half years on those deployments. Um, the uh, time I spent elsewhere, like stationed at different places, aside from the time that I was in the Arkansas Army National Guard, which I was here in Arkansas, and that was mostly around the time, like when I was in college, right after college, uh, around that time frame. Uh, but before and after that, um, I was in Georgia, North Carolina. Um, I was in uh, Texas, Louisiana, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Colorado. Those are the places I, were sta I was stationed. Um, places I visited, like these aren't places I was ever stationed, but I just got to visit either quickly or, or more extensively. I got to uh, go through Canada, Iceland, Ireland, Germany, Sicily, Italy, the island of Crete, um, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia. And so, again, didn't get a lot, spend a lot of time those places, but I did get to go there, along with some other states in the U.S. that I was never stationed in, but got to spend a, a lot of time in, kind of like Washington State and stuff like yeah. that. So you were talking about serving two and a half years overseas like in the middle east was that yeah. each four you did two and a half years or all together it was two and a half years that's so three all together okay okay uh yeah two and a half years is a long time to be away from your family so mm -hmm. <clears throat> again we'll talk about everything that and how it affects it and everything that you guys go through but just putting this together in my head you move a hundred times you're away from your family for at the very least two and a half years and not just across the street but across the ocean just so yeah. so wild and I don't think I've ever asked you this, but what made you want to join the services? What was your, <laughs> why? I mean, some, honestly, I've had some friends that are like, man, I just did it because for the money. Some mm -hmm. people did it because they didn't have another plan. Some did it because they felt called to do it. Yeah. Uh, I've thought about that a lot. And I thought about it early on in my career. I thought about it midway through. And then I thought about it towards the end. And I would say that, 
it's really because I wanted to do something, something that was important, something that was for kind of for me, my family, my country, you know, God and everything. And I thought that, well, this was my way to do it because I, I really didn't know of another way. Um, now that I'm more mature and I've been around a while, I know that there are other ways to do that without the military, but the military is a way. Um, and I think this was my way of doing it. I don't think that I made necessarily a great soldier and that's, that's not being self-deprecating. I'm just being honest. I, you know, I'm probably not a person that was best suited for that, but I think I did okay. And, um, I definitely wouldn't change anything about it yeah. at all. 25 years. That's a long time. Um, yeah, just under is 24. 24. I can't technically say 25. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, we're going to go with 25, but just kidding. Yeah. As a rules, we're going to say just, just under. Um, okay. So what did you find personally to be the hardest part with all the things, not even the things that we've talked about yet, but for you, what was the biggest struggle with serving your country? So I, I can only imagine this personal tear between one feeling like this is my duty. I need to serve my country and my family. And then also the other half of you saying, well, I, my family's back behind me and mm -hmm. I need to be home with them. But mm -hmm. there's so many other things with it. What would you say was the toughest thing for you in the moment? Like maybe I, to get through? I think at different stages of your life, the toughest part is different. Sure. You know, when you're younger, for me, I guess when I was younger, the toughest part was realizing I wasn't that great at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. You know, what a yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'll be quite honest. I mean, I wasn't like the best and figuring that out and being like, wow, I'm pretty much, you know, here. I hope this all works out, <laughs> you know. Wow, sign my contract. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, and and you miss your friends and and loved ones and stuff like that. You miss home. Shoot, when you're young, it's hard, you know, to leave home and do something different. It's hard to for a lot of young folks uh, to leave and go on vacation for a couple of weeks elsewhere. And it was for me when I was young, you know, and uh, and I can completely understand that. I think over time, though, uh, you know. Yeah, you start to have your own family and you start to kind of get get in the groove of everything and you miss your family and everything. But the hardest part, I think, down the stretch was realizing I was getting used to it. Yeah. Wow. And and that was hard on me when I realized, you know, this is it. You know, this is just the norm. I'm like, wow, am I really to the point where I'm I can like disconnect from everything so much? And if you don't watch it, you know, you can start just being okay with never seeing folks. And it's wow. not that you don't love them. Yeah. Like back here in Arkansas, I didn't come a whole lot. And it wasn't because I didn't love people. It's just because I've been disconnected for so long uh, physically from everybody that the phone was enough for me, you know. And that was hard when I realized, finally realized that that was, I was getting used to it. And I didn't feel like that was a Great. I think it was a coping ne mechanism. I don't think it was necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That that answer hit pretty hard. That's really deep and something mm. I never thought about. And I'm like I said, it's almost a coping mechanism. And in yeah. my head, I'm like, but is it necessary? Because you're gone so much. Do you mm. need to kind of be able to 
you know, separate the two, like, okay, I'm okay with this. But well, then I, have to caveat, I have to caveat that too. I'm, you know, that many moves and that many deployments, that's not really a lot. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a lot for, you know, our talk here, but I know so many guys that have so many more moves and so many more deployments. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm at the lower to middle range for that. So I was very fortunate. Yeah. They just didn't regard. move you because you were terrible at it. Nobody wanted. Yes. To. Well, there's <laughs> some, things are, some things are funny because they're true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Lance and I go beyond this live stream. People don't think I'm like, <laughs> people are watching thinking we're total strangers and like, this wow, is this is the norm. Harsh. Jeez, harsh. <laughs> You just okay. gotta add the drum. <laughs> hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to You're Not Alone with Townsend. If you're enjoying these live streams and podcasts and want to see them continue, head over to patreon.com slash Townsend T Music. Your support means that the research and time and effort that goes into each one of these episodes can continue and we can reach out to more guests and do more awesome things in 2022. All right. Back to the conversation. All right. So all jokes aside, talking about becoming like acclimated again, like between missing your family, coming back home and kind of readjusting. I was reading before we got on here and just reported. And so that means who knows who didn't report it or didn't fill out the survey or whatever. They were talking about over 50% of people that served in any kind of branch reported severe or significant difficulties becoming acclimated again. So like with family and with becoming a civilian, which I feel like, again, as me not being in the service, that's something you just don't think about. You're like, oh, yay, you're home. The end. You expect people to come home and be normal and that's it. You're home. Yay. Yeah. The end. And so I can't imagine. Um, let's chit chat about like the acclimation process. So like coming yeah. home, learning to drive a car again, learning to be with your family 24 seven. Like how weird is all that? You know, we do have cars in the army. Listen, I had a guy, he's actually watching right now. He talked about how he served in a different branch and mm -hmm. he did, um, I guess tanks is what he drove mm -hmm. the most. And other than that, oh no, no, I'm sorry. He did submarines and oh, he yeah. was in the water. And so when he got home, he talked about how it almost gave him vertigo to drive in a car. And so oh, he yeah. had, had to ride in the passenger seat for a long time until he got acclimated to driving again. I've, I've heard some stories like that. Yeah. I, you know, there's two types of acclimation, I guess. One is post-deployment acclimation. And then there's post-career acclimation. And I think those two, there's some shared challenges between the two but mostly they're quite different you know um coming home from a deployment is like an acute acclimatization because you're changing back into our american culture from like another culture and you know within your little compound or wherever you're at over there yeah there's some american culture there but there's also a lot of your foreign countries culture there and there's also quite a bit of discipline within that american culture so it's still quite different um and that's kind of a shock to the immediate shock to the system you know um 
and that and that causes major problems guys have a lot of and guys and i say guys uh, i mean men and women of course have a lot of uh difficulty sometimes with that especially with uh family relationships because uh for instance if you have a spouse your spouse has gotten used like what i talked to earlier you, you become accustomed to things has gotten used to doing certain things like mowing the yard uh if, if that's what you know the whoever deployed did before and now the other one is doing it or paying the bills or any of those things because in a lot of families people separate out things just based on who's better at what sometimes they do both but a lot of times people have their own little window of tasks that they take care of well while, while that person's been gone the other person's been taking care of it all and now the other person comes back and they kind of want to retake their identity but the person at home might not be want, wanting to relinquish their newfound identity and there's kind of that conflict and you have to kind of work through those things and i consider that very normal like yeah. It sounds like a problem, and it, it, to some extent it is, but it's very, very normal. It happens all the time. And then there's more severe things like dealing with post-traumatic stress and things like that, and people turn to to alcohol, you know, other types of self-medication. and um, Those cause additional family problems. Um, and then you've got problems with society, you know, a lot of times soldiers and, you know, I'm sure sailors, airmen, same thing. They get kind of tired all of a sudden of seeing our American excess whenever they're used to seeing like the opposite of that. They kind of get miffed about people complaining about minuscule things every now and then. So all those types of acclimation are, are tough, you know, um, but it's more acute in nature. Yeah. When you transition out of your career, that's a whole different story. It's not as acute, but it's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a loss of purpose. That's one of the biggest things that folks have is a loss of purpose. Um, it's, it's really hard to, to uh, figure out like, okay, what am I good at doing? What am I supposed to do? was was all this like leading up to something else in the civilian world or is it just stop now and i have to kind of start over right. and that's kind of a different type of stress it's not as acute it might not like throw you off the deep end or anything but it's just kind of this nagging concern about finding your purpose in the world wow so yeah it's i mean it, it can be a lot but there's resources for people to, to yeah. use those are things, again, I never would have thought about. And I feel like I'm a pretty deep thinker. Before this, I've been reading things. I thought, yeah, I got it. But even, yeah, like your purpose. Because you go in and you serve every day with these guys and you see them every day and you form these friendships and reliability. And then you come home and you're just kind of in the way of a spouse that was used to living on their own for a little while. That's, that's yeah. crazy. And, um, and really the questions are, and both are the same. It's where do I fit? What's my purpose? And how do I communicate? Yeah. But like I said, when you get home from those deployments, it's much more acute and right now and kind of in your face. Yeah. 
man, that, that kind of stresses me out thinking about it. Um, so I, I think it's just common sense that that obviously is going to affect not only you, but your spouse, your mm. kids, along with moving all the time. Do you feel like you were talking about you're not even the highest up as far as moving frequently? Do you mm -hmm. feel like that has an effect on kids and families? Oh, gosh, yes, absolutely. Um, some families handle it pretty well, some others don't. And I think the parents, you know, have to kind of take the lead to kind of, you know, foster that good attitude about those things. And that's tough because the parents are going through a move too, and it may not be where they want to go. It may, and you know, it may mean more deployments where you're going. Okay. We're going here and, and dad or mom is going to deploy more. And, but you know, for the kids sake, you've got to kind of, not not be dishonest about it but you know take a positive outlook and a positive uh, mindset of how you're gonna approach that move because you know it, it, it's really tough on young ones to move school to school to school yeah. and there are a ton of them out there that do it i mean i've heard guys talk about their kids going through five different elementary schools you know and that's just that's really tough I remember as a kid making friends, one of my best friends in first grade, she was a military child and they talked about they moved every year. And so we got to be best friends. And that next year they were up and out. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, they packed up and loaded out in less than a week and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, and back then we didn't have social media, so I have no idea where they are now. And again, her dad was pretty high up in his branch mm -hmm. and he, they said they got moved every year and that was just, that was it. Um, so I wonder how it affects them moving some every year so it's almost like you never really get your roots planted but I guess yeah. that family like really comes in and like positivity like um you're talking about so I can let's change subjects just a little bit I can only imagine the things that you saw and you went through being deployed and being in these um for lack of better term places that are completely deprived as compared to the USA we're just we're spooled rotten mm -hmm. And so you go over here to a desert where people have nothing. And so I can't imagine the things that you saw, the things that were normal over there. I mean, you saw, were you, um, I guess you were during the wars, mm -hmm. like technically. Okay. So you were serving during active time during war. What does mental health look like for those that are actively serving? So do they have anything available while you're serving? Is it, you know, earlier you said it's a little better than don't ask, don't tell. Oh no, it's a lot better. It's, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, there are those that will argue that there's still some of that stigma out there. I think what really there is, is there's certain people out there that still think of it in a negative light, but I think those are individual people it's not an institutional thing. You can't stop certain people from having bad, you know, types of leadership. Sometimes you just got to kind of identify those people and get them out. You know, if they're, if they're discouraging mental health treatment or treating people that seek mental health treatment differently then they have no business being in the military. So, um, yeah, there are probably a couple of those people out there, but on the whole, the entire, uh, military, all the services are very, very improved from where they were as far as offering services for folks. There's services when you're over there. Um, there's actually behavioral health units 
there's actually military personnel that that is their job. Okay. Um, behavioral health teams. And when major things happen, like to a unit, like a major incident involving death or, you know, uh, you know, heaven forbid a mass casualty event or, you know, uh, people that observe death of, you know, civilians and stuff like that for whatever reason, they try to have those teams come out, those military stress uh, organizations come out and talk to the service people and help them on the spot because treatment has to begin at the, at the scene, if, if at all possible. Um, and very, very absolutely has to be followed up on down the road. And some people have problems right away and some people have problems later and there are resources available for both situations. And, um, and then even after you get out, the VA has some great resources for folks and all these services are not hard to locate. Um, before it was kind of hard navigating the system and getting the treatment you needed. And don't get me wrong. There are some horror stories. Um, and I heard one a couple of weeks ago from a friend of mine that I thought was unfortunate. Um, but on, on the, the whole, everybody, uh, is trying to do their best to help service members and these organizations are doing a great job of doing it both in service and after uh, veterans get out. Good. When we wrap up, I'd like to go over those resources yeah. because we've got a lot of people on here, like I said, this sure. and I have chatted with through my project. I, I used to work in the nursing home and so I'd see people that were 80, 90 years old. They served in a war or two mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of them, I like to talk about it. And they'd either completely blocked it out, like tried to, said they did, or they remembered it very vividly, but none of them would admit that they had any problems. And one of the guys I was talking with, and this happened several times, but this is one that sticks out vividly to me. We're sitting there talking and I said, you know, I just feel like humans aren't meant to see things like that. Mm -hmm. And like, did it ever affect you when you came home? He's like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I was like, oh, okay, wow. And we, he, we sat in silence for about three seconds. Mm -hmm. And then he started bawling. Yeah. He started talking about, without me asking, started talking about the people he killed and he never forgave himself. And even though they were foreigners, he didn't understand why he had to do that. And the friends that he lost. And this is a nine-year-old man who just told me, no, I'd never suffer with that. And just sitting in the silence, he couldn't even handle it. And so it's so important to me to have you on here and chat about it so that people like us that are back in the U.S., like I said, you kind of expect y'all to come back and that's it. You're home. Yay. But there's yeah. more to it that I want people to be aware of. Oh, uh, yeah. It's stuff that you think about every day. Yeah. I can't imagine um, when you come home, do they encourage you guys to seek counseling? Like, is that something that's chatted about or is it kind of on your own to do? Both. And I say that because they'll, they're not going to like start making you an appointment or anything, but they're, they reiterate the resources that are available all the time. And you have to go through certain briefings that talk about mental health and explain to you certain like symptoms and cause and effect of certain things and like what's out there that can help you, you know, with those specific things. And, and, um, and granted there are some things that if you have 
will disqualify you from military service. Uh, you know, there's there's no way around that because some people can no longer function properly. And, you know, it would just, it wouldn't be good for them and it wouldn't be good for the service to, to leave those folks in. But they make every effort really to try to, to keep folks on. Um, was, that was going to be something else mm -hmm. I asked. So I read stuff about um, there are things that could basically disqualify you from yeah. being in the service or kick you out. But I think it went more so into like the schizophrenia and the things that oh, yeah. might affect and, your serving. And, you know, if you study schizophrenia, it can, you know, you can join the Army as young as 17. And schizophrenia can kind of show up after that. So, I mean, yeah, stuff like that happens. Um, you know, it may or may not be connected to your service. Maybe whatever you're doing and service, you know, kind of bring something out that was probably going to end up happening anyway, but kind of it was the catalyst for it. I mean, that's possible too. Um, but yeah, there are disqualifying things and not just mental health, but physical health, you know, um, there's certain things you can't have to, to join initially. And then there's certain things that you acquire while in that will also disqualify you. But like I said, they try their best to work with you and, and help you. And, and they're not going to like totally, you know, screw you over. I mean, there's people that have gotten screwed over, but it's not my experience that I've seen where they try to do that. Sure. And uh, they try to put you in the, in the best possible situation for your transitioning out. If that's what the end result is, Good. Um, you know, these aren't mean hearted folks that are trying to do you harm or anything. Yeah, I was actually going to bring this up. Um, so a guy that I met again through the You're Not Alone project, we chit chatted about this live stream with you. And that, so something I made a note to ask you about it because this was something he wanted us to chat about. So he was pretty high up and he had um, security clearance to places mm -hmm. that a lot of people didn't have or private things. And something that he was terrified about was if you had any diagnosis of any sort, they would take away that security clearance mm -hmm. or deem you um not competent enough to do so do you feel like it's the same for that like it has to be something severe do you feel like they could take it away for something like anxiety or ptsd or no uh that used to that was a, that was a concern but um it's case by case of course um i was at norad northcom out in colorado springs um i had high level security clearance. I was diagnosed with a certain mental health issue. And this was about, I guess, six years ago, five years ago, six years ago. Um, as long as you go and report it and tell them, and you know, if they prescribe you medication, you tell them about that, tell them what you're on and everything. And, you know, they'll say, okay, you know, just keep us informed. Yeah. That was all that they said to me. And then I went, if anything changed, I went back and told them, you got to kind of swallow your pride a little bit to go kind of say, Hey, you know, it's me and I've got this problem because it seems like, okay, I went to the counselor once, or I went to the doctor originally, then he sent me to a counselor. And now I'm having to tell this non-medical person, this stuff, but you know, there's, there's a place where security, and health have to meet somewhere, you know, 
you have to, there's gotta be a, a line. And if you try to work with them, they'll try to help you. But you know, if you try to do things on your own and you start self-medicating and then you start doing irrational things, then, you know, that's a problem. So. Understandably so. Y'all have important things. And I mean, you know, heaven forbid something, you handle it incorrectly and you're caught in a moment you have to make a super decision to save the country or to save a person. Um, I'm really so excited to hear all of this because the things that I read, I think it was outdated, but it talked about how you you couldn't be enrolled. Don't quote me. These aren't the details, but it was something like if you'd sought treatment in the last 36 months, if you've taken medication in the last blah, 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 if you've been hospitalized for mental health in the last blah, blah, blah. And I was reading this thinking the amount of Americans that are on medication for anxiety, no one could serve the country. So it makes me feel so much better. Well, now it's much more stringent when you try to join. Yeah, sure. So if you try to join and you have those things, and I think part of that is, you know, even if you have those things under control, I mean, there's a high propensity that for a chance that you're going to have problems down the line. And it's, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you love having people come in that want to serve their country. And I mean, it, it would be really tough for me to have to tell somebody that they couldn't. But I mean, I can tell you that some commanders have to go with medical personnel and tell their soldiers that they have contracted the HIV virus and they can no longer serve or they can serve. But then here's the the way that you're going to have to serve. And it's, you know, there's a lot of conditions for that, you know, uh, because before they couldn't serve and now they can but like I say there's a, a process for that, that that they can continue to serve but you know I mean those things are tough you know and it would be real tough for me to be at a a MEP station or something like that and to see this kid that really wants to join and has these certain problems and like I say sometimes that the there's a certain condition that's 100% this is disqualifying and then sometimes there's other things like bones and you know, certain types of injuries that, you know, is kind of a case for case basis, but sure. I mean, it's tough. Goodness gracious. Um, man, that's wild. My mind's just like thinking about all these things, all these stories I've heard. I Mm want to tell people this is totally changing the topic, but staying on with you. So when I started, I wrote this song called watch the walls back in Mm -hmm. 2019, the very end of that 2019. I came out with a music video at the end of November of 19. Um, you saw it reached out and that's kind of how we started talking about the service and you'd mm-hmm. mentioned how many loved ones and people you had come home and just how much trouble they had getting acclimated back home and that you'd actually had a few close friends um, die by suicide, which is awful, awful. And it just mm-hmm. made me feel so terrible. And I remember you told me, if you could do anything tonight at your gig, let people know that they're not alone and that there is help out there. Mm-hmm. And I had been talking about that and been wanting to do something. And I feel like truly you were the one that lit the fire underneath me. <laughs> and so I started the little video that was just people sharing their stories and spliced it. And it's just, just one minute video. 
and it got national attention all over the news. And I thought, holy cow, I can do more than that. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm doing this podcast and these live streams and I've met all these people change so many lives. The messages I get, like I've only been doing this about a year and I've had three messages from people in the moment of wanting to commit suicide or not commit, but Mm -hmm. attempt suicide. And they reach out, I give them a reference or a referral, or I talk to them, send them to someone that can talk them out of that. And all three of them have made it to the next day. And so yeah. it is just so cool. That is great. Yeah. And so I want to take the time to thank you for just lighting that fire. Being like, okay, people are well, actually listening. Like it I, actually- I don't think I, I lit that fire at all. I, you have put all the effort into this and I, and I commend you for it. It's, it's, it's great. But if there was anyone that lit the fire, we can say that uh, my friend TJ Fox, he, uh, he was a, a good man. Um, uh, he, he really, uh, he, he didn't, he didn't uh, take his life with, you know, from the perspective of what people are probably thinking, but, uh, his problem was alcohol and, and that's just me being honest. And, I, and he, he knew the direction that was going in and, and he just continued to go in that direction. Um, I, I had lost communication with him over time. I spoke to him last, I think in May of 2019 and, uh, and that was pretty much the last time uh, that I talked to him. I talked to him quite a bit more years ago. In fact, uh, when we would get off missions in 2004 and 2005, uh, I didn't smoke, but uh, we would get off some missions where he was sitting there smoking and had a cigarette and offered me one and I would take it. <laughs> I was about to say, wasn't he the guy you said pretty much every day he'd be out there lit with yeah. I'd sit and chat and if he offered me one I took it and everybody knew that I didn't smoke but <laughs> in those particular moments I did I mean <laughs> I think and, uh, and, you know I, he and I talked I, about things and um you know and then later on I remember him uh he he wasn't in the military anymore but he came and ate lunch with me and stuff and and then like I say we had a big gap time where I, I didn't uh talk to him and I, I really regret that uh, such a, a really good guy um you know just things happen and people uh people go down certain paths and you you wish they didn't i had another friend named ryan up in the dc area that um that committed suicide from a lot of he had a lot of things that bothered him from prior deployments and, and he and I discussed it on several occasions, but I never would have thought that, you know, something like that would happen. In fact, he sent me an email the week prior and I, I had asked him, Hey, how are you doing up there in DC? You know? And he said, uh, man, I, I'd give my left arm or my, my left leg or whatever to get out of this place. And, uh, the next week he took his own life. So, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I was, you know, you're talking about being addicted to alcohol. And that's one of the super common things people assume 
what they think is taking their life by suicide, but it can be so many things. Like you just mm -hmm. come home and you're dealing with all these thoughts and you don't take care of them healthily. And so, like we mentioned earlier, self-medicating, mm -hmm. alcoholism, just numbing those feelings. Cause it's a lot, it's a lot. If you don't want to set your pride aside and seek help. And so, yeah, I want to thank you for that. We actually reached out to TJ's dad and asked if it was okay to put a little data dedicated to TJ after that little video. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what stirred it all up. So super cool. I hate that that is what stirred it up, but mm -hmm. changed so many lives in the meantime. I think yeah. super proud that he was able to do that and kind of stir that up. So yeah, to him, I guess. Yeah, he was a good guy. He really was. He was a good guy. If you had to guess, obviously you probably don't know for sure, but how many servicemen do you feel like come back home and struggle with some type of anxiety, depression, PTSD, something of that form or fashion? Would you some say like type. Some type. I'd say most of them. Yeah. You know, there's probably some that are just, I don't know. I don't know what you would have to be not to have at least some little speck of that problem but i mean you'd have to be a special person yeah <laughs> either special in a bad way or special in a good way i'm not sure but um I, I mean most everybody i know has something and i think that's important to note because it doesn't take being in the military to have these issues you know well, specifically awesome. we're talking about military mental health tonight but you know it's not just folks in the military that uh that suffer these issues. And um, I think one of the things that military folks have trouble with is there's only a certain subset of people that can relate to theirs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I mean, that that's tough. And now sometimes they can, like for instance, the military has a big problem and I'm saying this, with sexual assault and we've got to stop that and sexual assault you know people have anxiety depression PTSD from sexual assaults and there are you know there are people in the community that, that can relate to that because it is a broader societal problem it's not just a military problem but the military is definitely making their name lately with with that particular type of issue and um it's regretful um but as far as the combat type stress and stuff like that it's kind of unique you know uh, police may deal with some of it um but um you know it's tough sometimes because you feel like the people around you family friends community you know a lot of those folks don't really you know they're not on your wavelength necessarily to speak about it yeah, it's hard to grab coffee with a friend and just talk about what's bothering you because they're not, they've not seen those things. They've not done those things. Um, before we wrap up, what would you, what advice would you give to people that are coming home from the service? So they're fresh coming home. What advice would you give to them instead of maybe like letting it like, you know, being prideful, not seeking help? Like what, what would be your best advice to becoming acclimated again? I think that's a good question and one that I think a lot of folks struggle with. And that's kind of one of the reasons why 
folks have problems is they get a little bit prideful in their own ability to take care of themselves. And I think the thing I would say is that you are not enough. You are not big enough for the whole challenge yourself. Uh, it's, it's a community effort. It's a family effort. And even if you don't have a personal family, if you are a single soldier, no kids, no parents, nothing like that, your family is us, you know, your other service members, the people you're in the service with, the people, the veterans that are with you after you get out of the service, at the very least, we're with you. So there is a family or a community that you're involved with and you just can't do it on your own. You know, it's not, it's not healthy to try to do it on your own. And that's someone, I'm not saying it's never been done, but that's how people kind of get along that slippery slope leads to alcohol and drugs and, and uh, risky behaviors and those type of things. Shoot. I think that can go for anybody. Like, yeah. You don't have to go through this alone and that's the point of these live streams is to remind you that you're not alone and you shouldn't be alone mm -hmm. be isolated and to think that you don't need help exactly that's right representing um that that's why we're doing this is to let you know that it's okay so many people go through this like you said most everybody that comes home is gonna have something um what about the loved ones of the servicemen coming back home so they're coming home they're not acclimated yet. There are all these things that they're dealing with. What advice would you give to the loved ones at home that are waiting for those people to come? Um, I would say know what the resources are yourself, That'd because be. when things arise that you think need to be addressed, uh, it would be easier maybe to talk to somebody if you already kind of had okay, hey, and this is where you can go rather than just saying, hey, why don't you find somebody to go talk to? I'm not saying it's not that person's responsibility to find help, but if you had kind of there for them, you know, people are much more willing to probably accept information if they can go right from where you're giving them to, to who can provide them help. Um, they can... Uh, I could say that, you know, hey, you can be understanding, but I think most military families are already well more understanding than, than most people realize. Um, but also be able to spot warning signs of certain things. Um, you know, be able to spot warning signs of somebody that's having problems with certain aspects of their mental health, uh, uh, substance abuse, things of that nature that they can and learn how to talk about it because you can't just say, hey, what about this? You know, it's got to be a little more. Yeah, right. I mean, it's got to be a little more uh, artful, a little more strategic sure. to to kind of get them to the point where they can ask for help because in the end, they're going to have to want help. I mean, you can force somebody into a treatment facility and stuff like that, but that's much less successful than when you get them to a point where they want to help themselves. Yeah. The more live streams I do, the more I realize that we did one on eating disorders and it talked about parents forcing them to go to these uh, treatments or facilities and how they go and get competitive 
eating disorder. Mm -hmm. So then it just gets worse because they're not ready to get better. So let's get back on a more serious note. I wanted you to go over some of those resources that were available that you know of, and I can put them, if you send them to me afterwards, I'm happy to put them on this event. But if you go over a couple, if you have some available, that would be awesome. Yeah. Um, So here's one, and this is a magnet actually, and I have on my refrigerator. And it might be backwards, but it says stand by them. The Veterans Crisis Line is here for you. Okay. And the Veterans Crisis Line is 1-800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. And it's veteranscrisisline.net. And they also have a text option that you can text to 838-255 and actually get help by text message on your cell phone. And this is the one that the VA promotes uh, the most. Um, I'm uh, I'm very confident that these folks have the ability to help you, whether you're in the service or, or out. Uh, but if for some reason that that's not something you want to do, there's also something called Military One Source. And Military One Source is something that's been around for a while, and it's not just for mental health concerns, but mental health concerns is one of the major reasons why people call it and. That number is 1-800-342-9647. That's 800-342-9647. Or you can go to Military One Source. You can look that up on Google. They have a website. And military service members can go there and ask for help with a variety of issues if they're having legal troubles. Now, they may not get complete help, but they'll get directed in the right direction. And uh, I believe it, if they still have it as of right now, Military One Source, without you even sharing your name on there, if you're still one of those that fears the stigma of mental health in the military, which there are, um, especially amongst the old timers like myself, um, you can call them anonymously and have, I think, up to six sessions without sharing your name wow. um, with on the phone appointments. They try to get you to give your name. That way they can refer you out to an in-person therapist, but they will do phone therapy with you uh, up to an extent. So that's that's uh, an added uh, plus. But of course, if anybody's in crisis, they can always call 911. That is a, a viable solution. And you can go to your nearest emergency room. Um, you can talk to your if you're in the military, you can talk to your chaplain, or if you go to the VA, they have a chaplain's service there, or talk to your local pastor, uh, even if, if, you know, if that suits you better. Um, or reach out to a fellow service member or veteran that you served with. That is one that people are most likely to do, um, especially it seems those service members that were in the medical community a lot of times, uh, you know, we've served with some of those folks and they have access to those uh, uh, resources as well and can help you out. And it may be somebody, you know, too, that kind of helps bridge that gap a little bit better. Yeah. But those yeah, are all-, all those resources are, I mean, it's, it's just an endless amount of help that could be waiting for you if you need it, if you reach out. I love it. I love how far it's come. Yeah. How- improvement it's made just from the things I was reading before this I thought oh my gosh she's gonna get in trouble for talking to me about this that's 
almost the mind frame I was in. So <laughs> thank you so, so much for joining me, Lance. It's been, gosh, educational for me, inspirational <laughs> for me and everybody else, I'm sure. I'm going to list those resources when I post this. Um, sure. I cannot thank you enough for joining me and just, gosh, taking the time to chit chat with everybody. Yeah. I'm so glad you got to see me. <laughs> yeah, I had to put up with it for an hour. Everybody that hopped on, thank y'all. Proud to be an American <laughs> where the Navy serves no. me. Best. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel we're like gonna... we can picture this soon. You hey, would We're about to kidnap that goat this weekend. <laughs> Blair, did you hear that? <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you all so much. Lance, have a good evening. We'll catch you later, okay? Thank you. Appreciate Thanks it. So much. See y'all. If you enjoyed this conversation and are interested in becoming a sponsor, feel free to shoot me an email at townsendtmusic at hotmail.com or shoot me a message on any social media platform at townsendtmusic for more information. I would love for you to become a member to help spread awareness that you're not alone. If you're looking to buy or sell, I have the perfect realty company for you. Clark & Co. Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area. And they understand that buying or selling a home is more than just a transaction. It's a life-changing experience. That's why their team of highly seasoned real estate professionals is dedicated to providing exceptional, personalized services for all their clients. They truly take great pride in the relationships they build, and they always work relentlessly on the client's behalf to help them achieve their perfect real estate goals. They always have the client in mind, and I can speak firsthand when I say how reliable, trustworthy, and quick they were. When I was looking to buy my first home, they were there with me every step of the way, answering every question I could think of. They showed me a great amount of knowledge and patience through the process. It's no wonder they've won so many awards for their outstanding services and their excellent relationships with clients. So if you're looking to buy or sell, there is no better option than Clark & Co Realty. If you're looking for the perfect place to relax and unwind after a long day at work, you want to grab a cold drink with a good friend, a good community, Lucky Loses for you. It's located in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was founded by two friends sharing the same dream. They wanted to make a place where everyone would feel comfortable and accepted, dogs included. And they wanted people to feel a little bit like they were back home. So grab a friend, grab a dog, or 12, and head over to Lucky Lose, where you can make your own luck. Okay, here's the best advice you're going to get today. If you're driving through Conway, Arkansas, swing by Cross Creek Sandwich Shop. Honestly, talking about this sandwich store is making my mouth water. My personal favorite's the turkey bacon wrap, and I can't leave without buying their homemade strawberry cookie. If you haven't tried these, you are missing out. Now, they have all different options for sandwiches, wraps, salads, desserts, soups, so swing by. I promise you'll thank me.